Well, good morning. Today we're hanging out in Daniel chapter 3. It's another fascinating story. And again, like parts 1 and 2, it's familiar to you. If you've been a churchgoer for any length of time, or if you've read your Bible at all, uh, you will be familiar with this story. It's another example of Jesus in the Old Testament. Part one was how David killing Goliath was a picture of Jesus defeating Satan. Part two was Jesus being pictured as a place of refuge and safety in the miraculous building of Noah's Ark. Those were both types and shadows of the coming Messiah. But here in Daniel chapter 3, in the story of the fiery furnace, we have an actual pre-incarnate appearance of the person of Jesus. This is a bodily manifestation of Jesus prior to his birth. It's known as a theophany. Some refer to it as a Christophany. Again, our story consumes an entire chapter in the pages of Scripture, this time Daniel 3, and you can turn there. I'll, I'll read some, and I'll kind of walk you through the rest, but I want to open in, in prayer this morning. I want to pray uh, for our situation here with the, the uh, uh, coronavirus and all that's happened in our country and in our world. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Lord, thank you for sustaining us and thank you for keeping us lord thank you that the word is still able to be preached though things have changed lord your word is going forth what the enemy meant for evil god you are still using for good and lord i pray for the people of god i think of the plagues in the book of exodus i think of how there was a distinction many times between the people of god and the people of the world and Lord, I pray that there would be a distinction even now, that you would protect the people of God, that you would grant them favor, that you would grant them health and strength and provision. And Lord, I pray that in a very short time that we would be able to meet again as a congregation. Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified even in the situation we find ourselves in today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Daniel was written between five and six centuries before the Virgin Mary gave birth to a baby boy named Jesus in the little town of Bethlehem. It was written from Babylon, the book of Daniel, by the prophet Daniel during a time when many of the Jews were exiled to Babylon and held captive for a period of 70 years. It's the story of Daniel and three contemporaries who were being held against their will a long way from home. In this instance, Daniel appears to be absent. At least he's unmentioned. The story centers on his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our story begins with a prideful act by a prideful man. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon builds a monument, a monument to himself. And if you read the rest of the book of Daniel, you'll see this is not really out of character for him. The monument itself was a, a gigantic statue. How big it was depends on what cubit was in use at the time, and, and that's up for debate by the experts. But 
the statue is somewhere between 90 and 125 feet tall. And when the massive image was completed, verse 2 of chapter 3 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they came. I'm not sure they had much choice, but everyone who was someone was there. It was a black tie, red carpet affair. And when they were all gathered, verse 4 says, a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O people, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, my favorite Old Testament musical instrument, the sackbut. We should incorporate, I think, a sackbut onto our worship team. The sultry, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whosoever does not fall down and worship shall that same hour be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. The decree was pronounced. The command was given. When the music plays, worship or else. And then it happened. The music played. And when it did, everyone did as they were told. All the people bowed down and granted obeisance to the great image. All except three young Jewish men. And they may have gone unnoticed except for the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the kids in the class who would tell the teacher at five minutes to three that she had forgotten to assign homework. The Chaldeans. Verse 8 says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the sultry, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever does not fall down and worship, he should be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews, not to name names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image that you have set up. Obviously, this didn't sit well with the king. It was a slap in the face. It was an act of total disregard for the very occasion to, for which they were gathered. Nebuchadnezzar, it says in verse 13, in his rage and in his fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. And when you read verse 14, it's almost as if Nebuchadnezzar can't believe it. I mean, he's beside himself. And he says, it says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, is it, is it true? Is it really true? I mean, can it be that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image that I've set up? 
And so just to be clear, just to be certain, just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, he offers them one more chance to save their skin. Verse 15 of Daniel 3 says, Now if you're ready at this time, when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, if you'll fall, fall down in worship, well, fine. But if not, you shall be cast that same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And ultimately, that's the question. That was the question for Nebuchadnezzar. That was the question for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that's the question for you. Who is the God who will deliver you when the heat's on? Many from our church family are in the midst of trials, even as we speak. We have some at home and some in the hospital with life-threatening sickness. We have senior saints literally in their last days. Others we know are in the grips of all sorts of bondage from sexual sin to chemical dependency. Some are in financial crisis. Their mortgage is overwhelming. Their expenses are unbearable. Their income doesn't keep up with what they need to pay the bills. And it's all compounded by the circumstances we find ourselves in today with the quarantine. For others, it's a relationship issue. The marriage is hanging by a thread. The words have been sharp and painful. Or maybe... There hasn't been any words. For some, it's trouble with the teenagers. They're off making their own decisions. Decisions they just don't seem to understand the ramifications of. These are difficult days on a number of fronts. And Nebuchadnezzar asks the exact right question. Who is that God that will deliver you? Who is the God who will undertake your cause? Who is the God who will see you through? Who is the God that will provide at the appointed hour? Who is the God that will comfort you in your grief? Who is the God that will set you free from your addiction and bondage? Who is the God who will cleanse you from all your unrighteousness? Who is the God who will deliver you? Who is the God that will stand with you when the heat's on? I hope you know the answer to that question. The three young Jewish men did. And with the threat of the burning, fiery furnace looming over them, verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, we're not worried about our response to you. We're not full of care over this. And they proceed to give one of the most faith-filled statements ever uttered. It's verse 17. It says, if it be so, if, if we're thrown into the burning fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, and this is the faith part, but if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship your golden image. Now some think 
that faith is when you pray and get an answer. I maintain true faith is when you don't get an answer, but you trust God anyway. But if not. Faith is when you believe what you cannot see. Faith is when you have to call those things that as of yet are not as though they are. Faith is when you cry out to God and the heavens are silent. Faith is when you long to hear from God, when you need to hear from God. Faith is when all is lost and everything is on the line and you don't get the answer you want and you're still able to utter the words, but if not, we will still serve Jesus. That's the only faith that will survive the fiery furnace. That's the only faith that will hold up when the heat's on. And it's the kind of faith that makes the devil nuts. And like the devil, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't happy either. In fact, the Bible says in verse 19 that he was full of fury and the form of his visage was changed, his countenance changed. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they crank up the heat seven times more than the furnace was normally heated. And he commanded his most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21 says, They were bound in their coats and their hosen, which is your, the robe or their gown, and their hats and their other garments. And they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And it was hot. And we know it was hot because the Bible records this little tidbit in verse 22. The furnace was so hot, the flames of the fire slew those men, those mighty men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, the scriptures record. And this is where some of you are today. The heat's on. Times are desperate. Your tank is empty. The reserves are gone. Your feet are being held to the fire. All the chips have been pushed to the center of the table. It's all or nothing. It's do or die. You're in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you? That's what Nebuchadnezzar asked as he peered into the fiery furnace. Who is the God that will deliver you? It's a great question. Verse 24 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he spake, and he, and he said to his counselors, Didn't we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered, True, O king. And he answered and said, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And Nebuchadnezzar's countenance goes from angry to baffled. The look on his face goes from mad to mystified as he peers into the furnace that just consumed some of his best soldiers. We threw in three men bound. I see four men loose. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You see, when you hang around Jesus, you'll be set free. You may enter into his presence bound. We all did. 
but it's only a matter of time before you'll be loosed. We threw in three men bound. I see four men loose. And the fourth is like the Son of God. This is the God who will deliver. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's the Son of God. It's the man of Galilee. It's the Messiah. It's the Savior. It's the King of Kings. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He has come to set the captives free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We threw in three men bound. I see four men loose. And all the princes, verse 27 says, and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair on their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor had the smell of fire passed on to them. Four miracles in one verse. Four miracles in verse 27. Number one, their bodies were not affected by the flames. The fire had absolutely no power over them. It consumed the guards, but it had no power over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Number two, not a hair on their head was singed. Have you ever, have you ever gotten too close to a flame with your hair? Then you know what a miracle this is. Number three, their garments were not damaged. The fire was seven times hotter than usual, but it did not burn their clothes. And to top it all off, number four, they didn't even smell like smoke. Think of how you smell of the fire when you go to the skating shack or when you, what you smell like after sitting around a campfire in the yard. Not only were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not burned, they didn't even smell like smoke. Four miracles in one verse. Who is the God that will deliver you? The God that can perform four miracles in one Bible verse. That's who. So let me ask you this. What are you like when the heat's on? What should we be like? What is a Christian to do when faced with disappointment, disaster, and despair? Scripture teaches us in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that love God. And yet when we encounter difficulties, we often wonder why. We often search for answers and we question God rather than learning to see bad things as good things in disguise. Well, I'm here to tell you today, fiery trials will come your way. You will be faced with temptations. You may experience health problems. You may face ridicule and rejection. Persecution and oppression could come your way. Your daily responsibilities will weigh heavy on you. Life will take its toll. And there will be times when you're at your wit's end. There will be times when you feel as though you have nothing left. You'll encounter disappointments and deep hurts. There will be challenges and pressures and obstacles and adversity. It's the nature of the game in a fallen world. Beloved, think it not strange, Peter says, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice 
inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. The circumstances of life either make you or break you. We will be bitter or better based on how we choose to respond. So how do we take advantage of, the, of these opportunities to mature spiritually? Here are five keys to dealing with adversity. Five keys to a successful Christian life even when the heat's on. Number one, give thanks. Number one, give thanks. Sometimes being thankful in tough times is the most difficult thing to do. But the Bible says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do you want to be in the will of God? We often aren't sure if we're in the will of God. I get that question all the time. How do I know if I'm in the will of God? Well, here's one thing you can do where you will know absolutely, positively, for sure that you are in the will of God. Give thanks. Give thanks, it says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And take note what the verse does not say. It doesn't say to give thanks for everything. There are lots of situations I'm not thankful for. I'm not thankful that we can't meet as a congregation right now. That grieves my heart. But the scripture says, in everything, give thanks. Even in the midst of adversity and hardship, I can still be thankful. Maybe not for the situation, but in the situation. In everything, I will give thanks. Another way to respond to life when the heat's on is to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, the Bible says. And again, I say, rejoice. You know, I turned a corner in my life when I realized I could suffer and thrive at the same time. I realized that while I may be struggling or suffering in one area or one aspect of my life, I could still thrive in the other aspects of my life. You see, the devil wants your greatest misery to permeate every aspect of your being. But God has a different message for you. God would remind you today that you're saved. He would remind you that you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit would remind you of all the opportunities available to you as a joint heir with Jesus. He would remind you how good it is to be part of the kingdom work and what a blessing it is to serve the King of Kings. The Spirit of God would tell you again how you can rejoice in the hope that only comes with knowing Jesus. We are privileged and we are chosen and we are blessed of God and we need to rejoice in that. Yes, you may have a struggle or two in life. So what? Join the club. You can either wallow in it or you can thrive in spite of it. I choose the latter. Number three, see the big picture. Psalm 90 puts it all in perfect perspective. Verse 4 says, For a thousand years 
in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. It's as a watch in the night. It's like grass. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it's cut down and withers. Listen to verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. Or if by reason of strength, fourscore years. Yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, the Bible says, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. I, I don't believe for a minute that it's telling us to count our days. I really think it means to make our days count. We don't get enough of them to count anyway. If we live an average life, we get about 28,000 days, 844 months. It's the nature of the game, kids. 155,000 people die every day, coronavirus or not. 10 out of 10 die. No one gets out alive. So let's choose to see the big picture. Why are we here? 100 years from now, who will know the difference? What is life all about? Are we just working 45 years to retire and live a life of ease? Is it all about the weather or the bank account or the next thing on life's horizon that will make us happy? Or is it about something more meaningful than all of that? Maybe our circumstances would be more manageable if we saw them in the light of eternity. Maybe life would be better if we could step back and see the big picture. Number four of the five keys to dealing with life when the heat's on is to cry out to God. Perhaps the best reason God has for taking us through the trials of life is to bring us to the place where we recognize how much we need Him. One of the purposes of God allowing adversity and trial is to see how we respond when the heat's on. God could certainly protect us from all trial and hardship, but he doesn't. Why? He's teaching us to look to the fourth man in the fiery furnace. Who is the God who will deliver you? That's a question you and I need to answer. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Our testimony, church, shines brightest in our darkest hour. When people see us thriving in the midst of pain and hardship, they realize there's something different about us. We're a peculiar people. We're set apart and distinct. Our attitude in adversity brings glory to the God we serve. And in that moment, people begin to see the fourth man in the fiery furnace, whose form is like the Son of God. We threw in three men bound, I see four men loose. And finally, how do we respond when the heat's on? Number five, we overcome evil with good. The Beatitudes express this so well. Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you, 
We are to love the unlovely and forgive those who wound us the deepest. We are to work hardest for those who appreciate us the least. We're not to treat people in harmony with how they treat us. We're to treat them as we would want to be treated. Not rendering evil for evil, Peter says. Not or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Be not overcome of evil, Paul says, but overcome evil with good. The Babylonians not only saw how the fourth man in the fiery furnace delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, listen church, they witnessed their amazing faith on the front end. We will not bow down to your foolish idol, they said. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will trust him and we will serve him. The Babylonians were so impacted by the three young Jewish men who stood tall when the heat was on, they sent out a decree that everyone should worship the God of the Jews. Think about that. And you can make that kind of a difference in the world that you are held captive. You can choose to give thanks, not for everything, but in everything. You can rejoice. You can suffer and thrive at the same time. You can see the big picture. Step back and see your circumstances in the light of eternity. You can cry out to God. You can learn to trust the fourth man in the fiery furnace. And finally, you can overcome evil with good. Live intentionally. Choose, choose, choose to be a blessing. Anyone can serve God when it's going well. Anyone can ride the wave of success and good fortune. Anyone can have a good attitude when life is falling your way. But what do you like when the heat's on? Do you know the God who will deliver you? That's the opportunity I'd like to present to you this morning. Wherever you're watching, whether you're local here in Superior, Wisconsin, you're across the miles, stretching across the United States, for some around the world, I want to give you the opportunity to know the God who will deliver you when the heat's on. And it involves a decision on your part. It's not something that just happens to you. It's a decision on your part to love and serve Jesus. God, the Heavenly Father, sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for your sins and for mine. There was a penalty that we couldn't pay. We are transgressors of the law. The fine was too big. And from the back of the courtroom, God's only begotten Son said, I'll pay the fine. And the only thing that's left for us is to receive it. The Bible says in John 1.12, it says, To as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. You can become a child of God today by receiving the penalty that he paid for you. I think of it this way. We 
admit that we're sinners. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Every 12-step program, that's, that's step one. We're powerless. We're, we're transgressors of the law. And next, we have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There isn't many ways of salvation. There's one way of salvation. God sent Jesus to die for our sins, and we need to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. And then we commit our lives to him. That simply means we begin to live for him. Admit you're a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and commit your life to him. And the Bible says that you shall be saved. Lord, I pray for those out there today that are giving their life to you. They recognize how they fall short. Lord, we recognize that we've transgressed the law. It's too late for us to try to be good. We already have a, a rap sheet as long as our the fine, the penalty, far too great for me to pay. So God sent his only begotten son, born of a virgin. He led a sinless life. And he has what it takes to pay the penalty that we owe. So Lord, we receive that today. We're humbled. And the least we can do is give our life to you. To begin today, this morning, to live for you. And so we choose to do that. And Lord, I pray for those that are listening this morning. If they made that decision to serve you, that they would type that into the, the comment bar. They would let us know, I made the decision today to serve Jesus. So we can pray for you. So we can encourage you. So we can help you along the journey of faith. Lord, I pray that people would do that. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory. You're a good God. I'm thankful for the God who can deliver us when the heat's on. 